If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is Will the Thrill. Oh, wow, I, mean, I botched that, that one. I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing to the audience now. Uh, you drop hi, the ball. <laughs> drop the ball. Yeah. All right. That was sad. And our, my, <laughs> my drop ball. Yeah, my beer. And our, and our storyteller for this week is Mr. TJ2, the deuce. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You taking notes, honey? Uh, Absolutely. I'd like to, I will subscribe to your newsletter. All right. So what are you guys drinking? We'll start with you. I'm drinking the, I I, I like this more than I thought I would. This is the Stone Scorpion Bowl IPA. Did I get that for you? Yes, you did. Okay, good for me. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, T, what are you, what are you drinking? I am having a uh, Highland Gaelic Ale. Ooh, good choice. And, uh... TJ was telling us that he's doing his best impression of me by working all the jobs. <laughs> They're doing all the jobs. By the time this comes out, uh, my job will be coming to a close. Uh, so if you guys, I will go ahead and say this now, if you guys are interested in auditioning for American Idol, we still have dates that are available. So if you want to apply, simply email me an inquiry at lindley.erlich at americanidol.com. That's L-Y-N-L-Y dot e-h-r-l-i-c-h at americanidol.com and you don't have a job no more i mean i like come september 23rd for the first time all year long i will be sans job which means i'll also only have like six other jobs so which means you yeah which means you'll be a damn freeloader (laughs) (laughs) yeah you you and your six jobs the nerve (laughs) uh, they ain't gonna have but five jobs yeah. <laughs> you guys excuse you any, me. You want to get anywhere in America, you gotta have a work ethic, damn it. If you guys excuse me, we've set a timer for an hour for this episode. Yes, we I did. gotta go get I gotta go get start my shift at Chili's. It's like that Simpsons, <laughs> that Simpsons episode where he's working multiple jobs. You ever see it? He lays down in the bed, the alarm goes off, he hits it and just gets right back up. Yep. Yeah. And the chance to get up really early in the morning to to you know, dress like a pillow to dance in front of Mattress World. That's important. Nothing nothing uh, makes me want to go buy a mattress quite like a big, goofy, grinning, dumbass <laughs> pillow dancing on the other right. You know what? Is the pill is not going to dance on its own, okay? It's Somebody not. Hey, hey, so real quick. Um, now, this is um, uh, the longest episode of the series, so we're not going to have a discussion point or ranking or list at the end like we do on all the others. However, our uh, dear friend Penelope did send in her list of the top 10 Tom Petty videos that was absent. Uh, from part three um and she's cool so we're gonna uh we're gonna accept her late uh late assignment and not mark her down for it but we'll uh read that at the end of part five um also we had a, a listener named thea who i believe is from colorado 
Hello, Thea. West of the Rockies. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. <laughs> Did anybody that may ever wonder, like, Art Bailey had the West of the Rockies line and the East of the Rockies line and the International wild, line. The and wild then card. The wild card wild line. Card oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, if you got East of the Rockies, West of the Rockies, and International, it sounds like you got all your bases covered. What the hell is the wild card line? Bermuda Triangle, maybe? I mean, maybe. I guess. Maybe yeah. if you're in a – I was like, if you're in a, a – on a satellite in geosynchronous <laughs> orbit over Australia or some shit. I don't know. Atlantis. Um, but she sent her um, Wilbur set list, and we'll read that on the next one too. And she is a Tom Petty Uber fan, uh, oh, nice. much as I am. She has a lot of really cool memorabilia. She's met Mike Campbell. Oh, wow. And if, if I, if I uh, read what she said right, if, or if I'm re remembering it correctly, because I haven't slept and I'm drinking, um, she took guitar lessons when she was a kid from Gilby Clark. Whoa! That is awesome. From Guns N' Roses. Is that the one Asia met at the Whiskey A Go Go? I want to say yes. I feel like she hung out with Gilby Clark. It's not, that tracks, doesn't it? That tracks. Yeah. That For Asia, yes, it does. Shout out to one of my best friends, Asia Ferretti. We love you. We miss you. She's in the Keys right now. Swimming with dolphins. Swimming with dolphins. That's not a euphemism. I didn't kill her. No, she, she actually, actually is. is swimming with the dolphins. She's a trainer, right? Yeah. Yes. And so, but uh, I, I think I think this proves that we have really cool listeners. Yeah, oh, incredibly yeah. cool listeners, dude. Like, these are the kind of people that I always wanted like to be friends with in high school. And they're way more talented than we are. Yeah. Which in is like, every way possible. Well, I mean, I'm. I, I mean, they might be talent more talented than you guys, but I make soap. So there you go. Oh yeah, I have no discernible talent. That I is think, that is I actually fact. It sounds like Penelope and Thea should have a podcast, and we should listen to it. I know. Yes. Yes. seems to go talent-wise. Seem, it, it seems extremely backwards. You guys, yeah, yeah. You guys do a podcast, please. Yeah, we will. We will some, listen to it. We will support you <laughs> for sure. All right. Okay. Well, let's get back into uh, Mr. Tom Petty. Where did we All leave right. off last? I think we left off uh, right after Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, which is right before Tom takes a solo venture. Excellent. So we'll, we'll go ahead and start this one. It was October 7, 2017. More than 90,000 fans stood and sang I Won't Back Down right along with Tom Petty in a jam-packed stadium. Hmm. Under normal circumstances, that wouldn't be an unusual sight. As Tom continued to build his legendary career, the concert crowds got larger, and dedicated fans always sang along with their favorite songs. This wasn't normal circumstances, though. Keep this scene in mind because it will be important later on. Now, uh, at the end of our last episode, we actually left off with an arsonist burning down Tom's house. He had left for a lengthy tour, family in tow, with Bob Dylan. He met Jeff Lynne and really got to know George Harrison for the first time during that tour. His daughter, Adria, said the tour was, quote, regenerative, and that allowed, uh, it allowed him to meet some musical soulmates. Both would figure prominently into his immediate and long-term futures. The tour ended, and Tom was back home in Los Angeles. Now, there are two different versions of what exactly happened next. Per Tom's recollection, he was driving around listening to Harrison's Cloud Nine album as he went to a drugstore to buy a baseball glove. He pulled up to a stoplight and saw Jeff Lynn in the next car. He waved. They both, both pulled over and started talking. Lynn says he was driving around L.A., pulled up to a stoplight, and saw Tom standing or walking nearby. One waved at the other, and they started talking. However it happened, they definitely ended up chatting. 
Petty was a huge fan of Cloud Nine, particularly the production for which Lynn was responsible. Quote, he said, would you fancy writing a song together, Lynn recalled. Now, I'm going to guess Tom probably didn't actually phrase it that way. Maybe Jeff did. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but he, he says that, uh, Jeff says that Tom says, would you fancy writing a song together? Can you hear Tom? Hey, um, would you uh, fancy writing a song together? <laughs> I don't hear those words coming out of Tom's mouth, but correct. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that was certainly the sentiment. He had planned to relax for a bit as the heartbreakers took a bit of a break, really for the first time in about 12 years, but also said he always felt like he needed to be working on a project. So Lynn, who was in town to work with Brian Wilson of the beach boys on some songs hung out with Teddy. And within a day they had written free falling and you're so bad. Seriously. That's not fair. That's really not fair. Yeah. Keep in mind that these uh, two guys were also in the Wilburys who wrote and recorded nine songs in nine days. Which is just bonkers. I mean, for their first album, which is a freaking masterpiece. If you gave me nine days, I don't think I'd come up with a chord. I have, I do good to to poop once every nine days, much less write (laughs) two songs that good. Um, As the songs kept coming, they went to the home of heartbreaker guitarist Mike Campbell to make use of his garage studio. Tom really had not planned on making a solo album per se. He hadn't planned anything, really. But it soon became clear that that's what he was doing. Friends would stop by and pitch in, including every member of the Traveling Wilburys, aside from Bob Dylan, and every heartbreaker besides drummer Stan Lynch. Tom, per one interview I watched, sort of reasoned that it didn't make any sense to record the songs then call the Heartbreakers together and re-record all of them. So it just kind of became a solo album. Hmm. Initially, the other Heartbreakers, other than maybe Campbell, who was heavily involved in the project, were upset at the idea of Tom making a solo record. Ben Montinch said that when he told other people about his disappointment, two separate individuals told him it actually presented a great opportunity for him to go to rehab. Yeah, he did. And he said, quote, that album saved my life. Bassist Howie Epstein was initially bothered, but said it dawned on him that all Tom was actually doing was branching out and working with some other people, which members of the Heartbreakers had done for some time. Lynch, who we've mentioned previously, Tom often butted heads with, said he didn't particularly like some of the songs on Tom's record, including Free Fallen, by the way. But he felt like he was in a cover band when they were incorporated into future Heartbreaker set lists. Tom said Lynn kept telling him that he had to leave to return to London, but, quote, I kept convincing him to stay one more week and work on one more track. As we discussed in our Traveling Wilbury episode, the recording process was actually interrupted by the formation of the supergroup, which knocked out an album in nine days. Some artists came in and out as well. Randy Newman stopped by Campbell's Garage, as did Del Shannon at various times. Oh, there's our, oh, there's wow. our, there's our Randy Newman. Yep. Yeah. Right, ladies and gentlemen, our Randy Newman reference of the podcast. Is that a thing now? No, that's not a thing. Oh, okay. That's, Sorry. If we could not have that be a thing, I would really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. I do not need to be trying to find a spider web of Manfred Mann's Earth Band and... Um, I want you to hold both those names in mind for our next come series. on i'm not kidding you're not making oh, God. human a thing uh, i'm not making not a thing wait. but this thing will happen I cannot <laughs> wait but yes dale shannon and randy newman both stopped by mike campbell's garage that's <laughs> that they were recording 
Uh, Shannon was working on a new record that Lynn would produce and that Petty and Campbell would be major contributors to as well. Campbell actually marveled at how adept Lynn was in his somewhat primitive 24-track analog studio. Adria Petty called him a true, quote, recording artist in that he was masterful at capturing the sounds he was looking for. Campbell said he learned a lot from previous producer Jimmy Iovine and would from future producer Rick Rubin as well, but that no one taught him more about the recording process ever than Jeff Lynn. And it's interesting because we always peg Jeff Lynn as the fifth wheel in the Wilburys, but it sounds like in the studio, he's the guy you want. No, Jeff, the, Jeff, Lynn, is a, Jeff yeah. Lynn is a wizard. He's, he's, a, a, he's a wizard. First of all, he's, he, he's a good singer. He's a good guitar player. He's a good songwriter. But in, in the studio, just think about, in, our, in uh, I think, I guess an episode or two back, when we went through all the stuff that he produced in this one little stretch. Yeah, it was If it's good enough for George Harrison. He basically had his fingerprints on every album that came out between about 1987 and 1995. With, with the exception of anything by Bob Dylan, correct? Uh, right. <laughs> he, he did not produce. He did not produce Bob. Now, unlike the other two, Ivine and Reuben, Jeff Lynn, of course, was actually a musician himself and showed Campbell how to go about capturing specific sounds and then piecing them together. He also marveled at how quickly Lynn was able to do so. Now, if you're a little bit of an analog recording nerd like I am, <laughs> go find Rick Rubin's Broken Record podcast when he had Mike Campbell as a, a guest because he explains in greater detail than I'm going to go into here some of the stuff that Lynn did. But one of them, the only thing, I, there was a lot of track stacking. There was a lot of condensing this sound and this sound and this sound into uh, one track to, to free up more room for the for the vocals and stuff like that. It, 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 but it was bouncing stuff from this tape to that tape to this tape to that tape and overdubbing them and playing them at the same time and re-record them. The only thing I want to mention is that, that Campbell said it kind of took him aback was when the time came to record the percussion. He did not, he is not a live in the studio, live on the floor recording guy. He, he mm -hmm. likes to piece things together but when it came time to record percussion he didn't have the drummer come in and just and play the drum parts he told him like okay all right uh all right we're gonna do the drums now i just want you to play the bass drum and so the person goes through puts so puts the sticks down and just sits there and thumps that bass drum every time it comes up in the song and he goes great great all right we got that now i want you to hit the snare just just do the snare part oh wow so now he's sitting he's sitting there and he just you know he just plays that the snare all right great we got that excellent now I want you to play the tom-toms, all the tom-tom parts for the song. Just just play those. So the, the, so you got to think the drummer, a drummer is so used to playing fully that he's probably still moving his hands as though he's hitting everything, but he's but but he's actually only hitting the tom-tom. It's like isolating vocal tracks. Yeah. Right, right, right. And then he goes, "All right, great. So now last thing, let's let's uh, do the hi-hat." And so just So he recorded all those on on different tapes and played them all at the same time so that you got the full drum part the, the entire the whole all of the drums for the for the for the song are there he, he would you know sit they would actually this is analog so you got out the grease pencils and you marked spots and you wound them back with your finger and cut actual tape with a razor blade but but he so he got them all synced up to where they, they were all ready to play at the same time he played all of them at the same time and recorded them on a new tape now you might wonder why in the hell would you go to all that trouble? Huh. And here's how here's how Mike explained it. Nothing gets in the sonic space of anything else. 
That's all clean every, ground. Every pop of the of the snare is distinct and clean. Every time he thumps that bass drum, it's distinct and stands alone. That's why his the the productions that he did had sounded perfect. They had that really clean, perfect sound. That's part of how he got it. And it's amazing how you wouldn't think of that level of detail, but that those little things make such a difference. And again, it's my mind doesn't even difference. work. Right. Doesn't even work. Right. I wouldn't even thought of that. Well, it was like you know, think about when someone like Brian Wilson was creating music, or right. when, when the guys from Queen would collaborate and drop quarters in on the piano and things like that and stick I mean, and stick microphones in coffee cans right. yeah yeah or like dusty didn't record you don't have to say you love me in the studio she's hanging over a balcony <laughs> to get mm-hmm. reverb like it's they're on a completely different level when yeah. they figure out okay what what trick can i pull to get right this? and it's wow. incredible and, mm-hmm. and it's not again. This is this is pre digital. I mean, now you would. I, I imagine you just click a mouse and you get the sound. You had to work for it then. It makes me feel bad about all the Jeff Lynn comments I threw out last. You know, last episode where I was saying, you know, traveling wheelbarrows were four musicians and a cartoon bear. So I feel a little bad about that. Uh, so, so sorry, he, Jeff Lynn, if you're listening to does, this, I meet and crow on this one. He does look like Fozzie Bear. Let's just be honest. That that that's unavoidable. Now, Tom's original plan was to call this album he was working on "Songs from the Garage," <laughs> which Danny Cordell at his record label hated. Tom isn't sure where he came up with "Full Moon Fever," saying, "Quote: Maybe there was a full moon that night or something." <laughs> he was really he was really proud of the finished product, and he took it to his label MCA. An A and R man, upon hearing an album that featured "I Won't Back Down," "Free Fallin." He You're said, so I don't hear, I don't hear a single. Running down a dream and other great tracks pronounced, I don't hear a single. <laughs> Good guess. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to think about this. And this sounds so ridiculous in retrospect. The album was shelved. Wow. Yes. What? And Tom was instructed to go back in the studio and work on it. Get out of here. That set in motion a major change for Tom. Shortly thereafter, he, Lynn, and George Harrison were at a small party at the home of Mo Austin, a Warner Brothers executive. They got the guitars out, and at the urging of his friends, Tom played Free Fallen. Someone shouted, quote, that's a hit. But Tom told them his label sure didn't think so, as they wouldn't even release it. Quote, I'll effing release it, Austin reportedly said. <laughs> Can you imagine so, being at a party and suddenly George Harrison and Tom Petty take out guitars and start playing? Yeah. My how don't I, I get invited to those parties? Yeah, how do I end up there? Oh, you know what? It's not that. I end up at ones, I, I end up at ones held in a shed where somebody named Bubba like drops his pants and craps on the floor or something. I mean, like, I don't, I don't go to cool parties with Tom. Come on. Mr. Britton would not appreciate that sentence. I know other people. Sort of a generic where I'm from name. I just. <laughs> Well, we could call him Cleve or or Cletus or Earl or Barnaby. Barnaby is not a what? I mean, you haven't not a southern name, you idiot. You haven't <laughs> you you haven't lived you haven't lived until you've you know been to a party in South Carolina where somebody drinks moonshine, stands naked on a diving board of an empty swimming pool, and lights their fire. <laughs> 
That is an image right there. If, if, if the South Carolina tourism board needed a spot, take it, <laughs> take it and run with it. <sighs> yeah. Don't, don't worry about the barbecue trail. Don't go to Charleston. Just. Yeah. <laughs> Drunk redneck liking their farts on a diving board. I mean, that's a good Friday night. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And it kills the Skeeters. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so dumb and punchy. Anyway, so Tom inked a secret deal with Warner Brothers Records. The contract would be kept in a vault and not spoken of until Tom had fulfilled his contractual obligations with MCA. Now, there was a change at MCA shortly thereafter, and the new regime loved Full Moon Fever, and they released it. And that proved to be a very wise move, as the album hit number three on the Billboard Albums chart, outsold every Heartbreakers record by going five times platinum, produced three top 40 pop hits, and six top 10 hits on the rock charts. Now, there are a couple of songs on the album I'd rather play, personally, but I feel like we'd be varying into too cute territory if we didn't play probably Tom's biggest, most played, and most endearing song, so we're going to do that. Here is Tom Petty and Free Fallin'. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus in America too. She's a good girl, it's crazy about Elvis, loves horses and her boyfriend too. And it's a long I'm a bad boy Cause I don't even miss her I'm a bad boy For breaking her heart
what a fantastic song. It, it's one of the best songs ever put to tape. I mean, I just, I won't say it's in my top 10. Although I do, I, I, I truly love Tom Petty. I will say that that top 10 part, like that top 10 is taken up by the Wilburys. So that's fair. I would say yeah. that, that song's probably my top 30 songs of all time. Yeah, that that's to me almost American songbook material now. Yep. Can, can I offer a personal fun fact here? Oh, sure. Fun fact. I have, in fact, jumped out of an airplane. Remember you oh saw that? Oh my gosh, and the video was too free for Yes, now. Oh, hang on. Ah, sorry. Now, when I jumped out of the airplane, one quick factoid is I jumped out at the time with the person who held the Guinness Book of World Records for most jumps, Don Kilner, who has passed away. But they did do a video. He, did he? He did not die while diving. No, okay. he just—he was an old guy. Okay. And uh, it was a video that they took of you jumping out of the plane, and there were like five songs you could pick from, and I think this was the obvious choice. So my video sure. is forever etched with Tom Petty's "Free Fallen." Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. yep. Uh, now Tom told Billboard that song started as a joke. <laughs> he made up the first verse to quote amuse Jeff. I thought it was amusing. At some point, Lynn leaned over and said, free falling. Nah, Tom, nah. Fin Tom finished the song that night, and they recorded it the next day. Mike Campbell recollected on Rick Rubin's Broken Record podcast, they started working on it at 10 a.m. one morning and were completely finished by 6 p.m. One day? No, in, his, no. in his analog 24-track garage studio. Stop yep. it. Eight hours. Spread the talent around, guys. Come on. Yeah, really. Stop hogging it, ass. In retrospect, Petty said he actually didn't know how good the song I Won't Back Down was since it was, quote, very naked, straightforward, and lacked a metaphor of any kind. He said, quote, I don't know if I like being read that easily. It is generally believed that Tom directed the song at whoever burned down his house, by the way. Campbell nailed the absolutely otherworldly minute and a half guitar solo at the end of Running Down a Dream in one take. He just did it and they, that was it? Yup. Quote, he looked like a stone statue. He didn't even blink or move, Tom told <laughs> Billboard magazine. Well, you know, there there are those, like, stories out there of people being able to do things in one take. I think the most famous for me is probably Celine Dion. She did the, she didn't even want to do My Heart Will Go On. And so they were like, could you just do a scratch track for us? And she was like, all right, fine. So the actual song that you hear is not only a scratch track, which was meant to go to a different singer, but it's also the first take. I thought you were going with something wow. else. Which one? The I can do the song, darling. Well, no, that wasn't done in one take. Oh, that take. was one take? That I thought was that was one take. take. That was not okay. one take. But he still did it. He still did it. Yeah, that, yeah that he did it was pretty amazing. Yeah. I thought it was one take. Um, that, that was not one. He did not do it in one take. The, the reason why he ordered the vodka was because it was like his fifth take. Got it. So yeah. if you guys are wondering what we're talking about, we're actually talking about Freddie Mercury. So you can go back to our series on Freddie Mercury and listen to all five of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. Our month, and, month of Mercury. and find out what that was about. Yeah. Tom actually ended up hating the album's final song, Zombie Zoo. And it's probably my least favorite song on the album, but I, I don't think it's bad. But he told Rolling Stone, quote, what frame of mind produced that I don't understand. 
<laughs> so he almost disowned it? <laughs> yeah, he, he is apparently really doesn't like it. Still, he said Full Moon Favor was the most enjoyable record he ever worked on. And can I offer you a fun fact? Fun fact! Fun fact! Have either of you ever listened to the CD version of Full Moon Favor? Yes. I feel like okay. you made me. About halfway through it, you hear a message from Tom Petty saying that uh, that they're going to pause so that those listening on records or cassettes can get up or sit down and flip the tape or the record over. Have you, are, have, do you remember that? He says, attention CD listeners. No, I don't. Okay, okay well... You hear barnyard noises in the background, like oinking and mooing and things like that. Credited with, quote, barnyard noises on the sort of hidden little track thing, uh, Hello CD listeners, is Del Shannon. What? Del Shannon provides the moos and oinks and weenies that you hear in the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Hey, T, I hate to interrupt you, but we need to take a short break for our sponsors. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. And we are back. We are back to part four of The Great Tom Petty. In 1990, the Wilburys released a second album, as we talked about, but the joy was likely tempered just a little bit. Del Shannon, one of Tom's musical idols with whom he had become friends, sadly took his own life that same year. Tom and Jeff Lynne helped complete the album he was working on, the posthumously released Rock On. Around this time, Petty was working with another idol and friend and former Birds member Roger McGuinn. Now, the Birds were obviously a huge influence on Petty, and McGuinn noticed right away. The first time he heard American Girl, he actually thought it was a bird song and said to himself, quote, I don't remember recording that. <laughs> he did, though covering the song about a year after its release, which Tom said, quote, stamped my passport <sighs> into, the, into the big time. In Peter Bogdanovich's excellent documentary, Running Down a Dream, there's a scene of Tom and McGuinn in the studio as the latter worked on his comeback record back in Rio sometime around late 1990 or early 1991. Two A&R men walked in and handed McGuinn a song they wanted him to sing. Now, McGuinn was somewhat amenable to the idea, as he probably wanted to stay in the label's good graces as he tried to mount his comeback. But Tom took a look at the lyrics and absolutely lost his mind. He told the two in no uncertain terms that the song was, quote, shit. Huh. Quote, How did he really feel? Quote, are you getting kickbacks on this, he asked. He pronounced it, quote, I can smoke a joint and write two better lines than this. <laughs> He then asked the two, quote, do you know who this man is? When one of them said they knew it was Roger McGuinn, Tom shot, shot back, quote, yeah, but do you know who this man is? Mm -hmm. He was offended that someone he held in such high regard would be given such schlock to record. In retrospect, McGuinn said the song did suck, and he was glad Tom spoke out on his behalf. <laughs> he ended up not recording the song. Now, a joint was likely involved, as the two ended up writing a song called King of the Hill that did make the album. 
which hit number 44 on the Billboard album chart. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers reconvened with Jeff Lynn serving as producer to record 1991's Into the Great Wide Open. Nice. Now, they they weren't the only band to do so that year, as 1991 is also no, uh, noteworthy for the reformation of, though it is not nearly as lauded or successful as that of the Heartbreakers, of Manfred Mann's Earth can I, can I try it? Can I try it? Please. <clears throat> sure, please. Okay, you want to you lead me into it? The ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it's, yes, it, ladies and gentlemen, there it is. It has our been satisfied. Dobby has satisfied the Manfred Man's Earth Band reference of the podcast. I'm really Mr. wondering a, a, an alternate universe where Manfred Man is part of the Harry Potter world. Was that better? That was amazing. <laughs> Thanks. And thanks for finding us on Facebook, Manfred Man's Earth Band. Yep. We appreciate it. Thank you, Manfred Man. <laughs> yes, I don't think we've actually mentioned that. For this audience, we did when we visited with our friends on the Yeah Uh Huh podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to break that news to people who, oh, who don't know yet? That was okay, awesome. Okay, yeah, cheese and crackers, middle of the episode. Sorry, guys, to break up the Tom Petty episode. But uh, I go on, I, you can see the post, I believe, on our Instagram and our Facebook, yep. if I'm not mistaken. But I, it was like a Sunday morning. I'm, you know, I go to the restroom like I normally do, flipping through the Facebook, you know, while nature's doing its thing. And I see a notification and it's somebody wants to invite you to a group <laughs> and I click on the notification and it says Manfred man's earth band would like <laughs> to invite you to the private Manfred man's earth band group. And at that point I pooped. Well, well, what happened was, is I was awoken from my blissful slumber by honey, you need to look at this. It was, Will was yeah. like dead asleep, dead asleep. And like normally, I let him sleep on the weekends because he's got to wake up super early. And I was like, "Honey, well, bear, bear." And I think I looked at it, and my first reaction was, "Well, the jig is up." <laughs> you weren't even yeah. mad at me for waking you up. Mm. I've Not said for a long time that you know there's there's a very fine line between running gag and defamation, and at some point we were going to cross it. So, <laughs> it was and, but thankfully, it, so, thankfully, it wasn't. Manfred Mann's attorneys would like you to join a private group so they'll know where to serve the papers. <laughs> yeah. Decline, decline. <laughs> yes. Okay. So anyway, so yes. So we, we have now been invited to join a private Manfred Mann group <laughs> by Manfred Mann's Earth Man themselves. Which we are happy about. Thank you, Manfred Mann. So uh, this album that, that uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were working on upon uh, getting back together would be the last album by the band to feature Stan Lynch on the drums and the last album of new material Tom would produce for MCA. It went double platinum. It was well-received critically and featured a couple of big hits in Learning to Fly and the album's title track, Into the Great Wide Open, which featured a brilliant video that starred yes. Tom's friend Johnny Depp, Faye Dunaway, Matt LeBlanc, China Phillips, and Terrence Trent Darby. Wish Depp, said that Dunaway, Depp said that Dunaway was practically schoolgirl giddy over getting to meet Tom, by the way. <laughs> there were uh, there was two gunslingers or that's one of the songs on the album which is widely seen as a protest song against the first gulf war which had just started 
out in the cold is an absolute guitar scorcher making oh. some noise and you and i will meet again are both excellent but i actually want to play a different song from this one it was released as a single but it was not a hit oddly still it's one of my favorites and i'm the one that wrote like 80 pages for this podcast <laughs> so i'm damn well gonna play it if i want to so here's tom Petty and the heartbreakers with king's highway Can I just say the first time hearing that, I really like it. I like it a lot. I really, really like it. I don't want to end up in a room all alone. Don't want to end up someone that I don't even know. He'll, Tom, Tom, is, Tom is, is sneaky good at turns of a phrase. In oh, songs. absolutely. His, yeah. his lyrics are what I would call deceptively simple. Uh, but 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 also deceptively magnificent <laughs> exactly yeah the, it, it's actually it's, it's not deceptive it's fairly flagrant they're they're yeah. magnificent <laughs> yeah that's a great song from the end of the great wide open album there 
And an album I always forget about again between Full Moon Fever and Wildflowers. It gets that, lost. That's the thing. That's the thing. That was tucked in between <laughs> Wilbur's Volume One, Full Moon Fever, Wilbur's Volume Two, and then Wildflowers. It's kind of dropped right in the middle of all that. So it you know it gets a little glossed over. I actually really really like that album. So I think the problem is Tom released some crappy albums. Come on, man. Put out something that sucks so that we can yeah. Yeah. put out a spaghetti um, incident or something. Uh, yeah, right. Give her a Where's drink. your Van Halen three or Cookie Puss? Don't you um, besmirch the good name of Cookie Puss. Cookie Puss besmirches its own name. Tensions were really starting to mount now between Tom Petty and drummer Stan Lynch. The drummer once said, "Quote: Every band needs an asshole, like every circus needs a clown, and I guess I'm it." <laughs> what a great quote one documentary i watched said that lynch actually moved back to florida without telling the rest of the band <laughs> now wikipedia says he didn't actually move back to florida until after he left the heartbreakers however that happened the band was supposed to play at the opening of johnny depp's viper room but apparently lynch didn't want to do it petty told him quote fine we'll get ringo to do it then nice so lynch did show up and play the gig but Depp apparently didn't hear that story until much later and said as great as the show ended up being, he sort of wished that Ringo had played the drums with Tom Petty that night. So are you saying they opened the Viper Room? Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. They, were, they opened the Viper Room. That was the first concert at that venue. Wow. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Lynch's last gig with the Heartbreakers was at the Bridge School Benefit Concert in California. He left after that citing personal and musical differences with Petty. He went on to work with the Eagles, Bob Dylan, the Mavericks, John Mellencamp, and a host of others. And he actually wrote the number one country hit back when for Tim McGraw. So he continued to, to be very successful in music. Stan Lynch did? Yep, sure did. Oh, wow. huh. to show, now, to show the kind of guy that Tom was, though, he invited Lynch to join the, he and the Heartbreakers on stage when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, classy. Yep. Now, he would eventually be replaced full-time by Steve Ferroni, who had played or recorded with the likes of Eric Clapton, the Bee Gees, Chaka Khan, Aerosmith, and Rick James. Bitch. Anyone we've heard of? I mean... Again, a few obscure indie artists <laughs> uh, that, that struggled for uh, recognition and success. However, there was apparently one other person considered for the gig before they ended up hiring Ferroni. Please tell me he's Claude, the ginseng drummer. Please tell me. Even once he became a musician, Tom remained an avid music listener and fan. And he was particularly taken with Nirvana. Oh, wow. After the death of Kurt Cobain, Tom expressed great sadness, saying, quote, when one of his songs came on, it just hit you. It was so good. And there won't be, and there won't be any more. He was really my favorite. And it just sort of leaves a big gap. Wow. When Nirvana disbanded after Cobain's death, Tom reached out to the band's drummer, Dave Grohl. Wow. In fact, Grohl did play with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on an episode of Saturday Night Live. Huh. Grohl told Howard Stern that Petty said, quote, it'd be a shame if this is the only time we get to do this. He said Tom eventually called and said if Grohl was into it, he could come out on the road with the band for a while and explain how they would make it work. So essentially, Tom invited Dave Grohl to join the Heartbreakers. Wow, and, and I think LD, you said Dave Grohl is one of your favorite 
favorite uh, celebrities, right? He like just is okay. Anybody who Rick rolls the Westboro <laughs> Baptist Church is a good guy in my book. He that's a good. That's a quality human being. In and my he book. had he had the best ice bucket challenge, other than Sir not, Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine, Grohl was flattered but he said it would have been a very sad and emotional experience for him to be playing drums and to not have kurt on stage with him Aww. he had made the switch to guitar and was already working on demos for a new project that would turn into the foo fighters he said tom was quote cool and very down to earth in addition to quote being a badass <laughs> <laughs> now if you know much about tom you know that he was about to release a second solo album, one that is largely considered career-defining. You'll likely be surprised then that I'm going to give it short shrift. You're probably thinking, wow, you're super dumb. But patience, friends, patience. We'll come back to it later. <laughs> that record was Wildflowers, and its lead-off single was a huge hit called You Don't Know How It Feels. Uh -huh. Now, it's, it's very hard to fathom as we sit here in 2021 but the line, let's get to the point, let's roll another joint, was actually considered controversial in 1994. Oh, and some radio, some radio stations played a version that dropped the word joint altogether, while others played one, that, played one that changed the line to let's hit another joint, which I don't get how they squared in their minds that was less druggy than rolling a joint. Because if they <laughs> say, if, I, if I'm rolling it, I might just, uh, you know, give it to somebody else. If I'm hitting it, I am in fact smoking it. No, I was actually thinking like let's hit another joint, a like place. a juke joint, like yeah. you could mean place. like it could mean a place, as in visit a place, hit a joint. I suppose, yeah. MTV, which had zero <laughs> problem with sex and violence, had a big old stick up their ass about drugs. So yeah. they took the word joint, played it backwards, and suddenly Tom was hitting another George. Tom said Tom said he wasn't sure what a Norge was, but quote, it sounded really wicked. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we hear it as the man intended? Here's Tom solo on You Don't Know How It Feels.
the joyless head on down the road to somewhere I gotta go Another another classic. It does not get weary. That song does not get weary. Never tire of that one. Or or hardly anything Tom's ever done. Yeah, fair. Okay. In 1995, Tom would get to work with another one of his idols, and he and the Heartbreakers would, for the second time, become someone's backing band. Now, of course, he toured with Dylan. He and the Heartbreakers were Tom's band for a, a lengthy tour of Europe. But Johnny Cash had released his first Rick Rubin-produced album a few years earlier, a stripped-down acoustic affair. On its follow-up, Unchained, Petty and the Heartbreakers were enlisted to be Cash's studio band. Jeez. Now, now they were already friends with Adria Petty saying that Johnny and June Carter Cash frequently came to Tom Petty's concerts. Heartbreakers bassist Howie Epstein actually ended up engaged to Cash's stepdaughter, Carlene Carter. And Mike Campbell had grown up, of course, listening to Johnny Cash almost constantly as he was his dad's favorite artist. Quote, I always liked John. I was a bit in awe of him when I first met him. I think everybody is, Tom said. He also recalled that Cash was to have played at a, quote, hoot nanny in Gainesville in the early 60s, which Tom was excited about. about. However, he remembered it being reported that Cash was, quote, loopy and may have punched a cop and failed to appear at said hoot nanny. That, that, that tracks. <laughs> yep. Also, On Rick- uh, are we sure it was a hoot nanny and not a Fandango or a Hoot nanny is very specific. Maybe it was a, hay- was it a hayride, maybe? Ooh, uh, maybe. Oh, 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 you know what? What if it was a whirly gig? Oh, wow. Or a jubilee. A jubilee, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Or an orama of any kind. Oh, man, if you have an a orama. A shindig or an orama. Now, on Rick Rubin's Broken Record podcast, Tom's daughter, Adria, said her dad loved being just a member of the band and getting to play different instruments. She said he came home one day and enthused, quote, I got to be the bassist today. <laughs> It's like a little the kid. Man, <laughs> right. Now, the man in black was starting to have some health problems, with Ruben recalling that he sometimes would suffer dizzy spells, and Tom recounted that after working for an hour or so that he would have to sit down and rest for a bit. Still, he said Cash was a very warm man and had a laugh that was, quote, conspiratorial. <laughs> that is a great... Oh, wow. Sometimes Cash would come up with songs, but basically producer Rick Rubin would present songs to Cash 
who ultimately had the final say on whether he was going to cut them and if it was going to make the record or not. And would you like a fun fact? Fun fact! Fun fact! One of the songs that Rick Rubin pitched and that was cut but has never seen the light of day to my knowledge Cookie Puss. Cash was Cash covering Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. Oh my. Oh my someone find that. Yes, please unearth that. I, 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 I looked and looked. I don't think it's ever been released, but if that's still out there, if somebody could make it where I could hear it, I would really appreciate that. Oh, would I ever. Now, the sessions were mostly recorded live on the floor. They had a lot of spontaneity. When they were cutting the Leuven Brothers song, The Drunkard's Plea, Cash said, quote, we need a Hammond organ on this. Tom, why don't you play it? It just needs to kind of have a churchy intro. Now, <laughs> Ben Montense is sitting right there. <laughs> Tom, who really didn't play the instrument, said, oh, okay. And whatever he played actually did make the song. Did he have any experience playing a Hammond organ? I mean, Tom could play the piano. Okay, so he had some... I Connection. He had some uh, a bit, he had some ability to sit on a bench and mash keys and make there be music. Well, at that point, I could be a piano player. I mean, do you have to be good to be a piano player? Can you just like bang the keys? You actually do. Yeah, I think so. You can't fake but, it. But my point is that he he looked at Tom and said, "Hey, why don't you play me something churchy on that Hammond?" Instead of looking at you know one of the best rock piano player and organ <laughs> the guy who plays was sitting in the room. Yeah. Huh. Awkward. Yeah, he, yeah. Whatever he was going through help-wise didn't impact his voice much then. Tom said, quote, he had a really nice, big, round voice. I've seen people sit in the control room and really try and make a singer sound good. But he just came across the mic like that. It was a beautiful sound. Now, there are two quick stories I want to share with you from those sessions. Tom said one day, Johnny and June went and sat at a nearby bus stop. Cash said very few people recognized them, but said, quote, we met lots of Pretty interesting people. So that's that's the kind of person Johnny Cash was. He's like, I'm, we're just going to go sit at a bus stop for a while and just and just talk to folks. And and he said very few of them recognized him, but he he, he talked to lots of people and thought a lot of them were really interesting and nice. Wow. On one occasion, the tape machine in the studio actually broke during a song recording, and Tom said it was quote pretty hot. I think that's um, musician lingo for we were playing it good. <laughs> yes, they were recording, and Tom said it was pretty hot. June <laughs> came in and told the room quote. I think if we all sing a hymn, maybe God will fix the tape machine. So she instructed everyone to hold hands and sing a, a hymn. Quote, I swear, within minutes, the machine worked again, Tom said. <laughs> I mean, June, June said God would fix <laughs> I mean, there are a couple people in the world that I'll listen to if they say God said something. One of them is June Carter. The other one's Dolly Parton. That's fair. Yep. Now, Cash did cut one of Tom's songs on this album, that being Southern Accents. So it would make the most sense to play that one. Johnny Cash, in fact, said Southern Accents should replace Dixie as the Southern National Anthem. <laughs> that's how much he, that's how highly he thought of that song. So Tom wrote it, John cut it. It would make sense to play that one. However, I'm not accused of having much sense. <laughs> so let's just rock out to another one. This is an absolute scorcher. It is my favorite song on the Unchained album, which I love. This is Johnny Cash with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers doing a cover of Soundgarden's Rusty Cage. You wired me awake and hit me with the hand of broken nails. 
You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. Too cold to start a fire, I'm burning diesel, burning dinosaur bones. I'll take the river down to still water and ride a pack of dogs. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. When the forest burns along the road Like God's eyes in my headlights When the dogs are looking for their bones And it's raining ice picks on your steel shore I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run Okay, so Will, you're a huge Soundgarden fan, and I know you uh, like Tom Petty, and I know you like Johnny Cash. You somehow had never heard that, you said. I missed that, and I feel terrible that I did, because as you pointed out, it's all things that I enjoy mashed together into one. Right. That is a banger. I love that song. It's, it's worthy of... Beer. Beer. <laughs> Yes. Hooray, beer. If, but to to the credit, even if the song was terrible, Will would have still had a beer. Yeah, you could have played Cookie Puss and I'd be like, beer. Beer. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, we just played a minute and 38 seconds of silence. Beer. Beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beer. We weren't even recording. Beer. Here's some German guy playing a tuba. Yeah, beer. Beer. Okay, so... Here's the thing. Beer. Yes. Yes. Beer. <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember uh when when they used to do those great commercials for milk? Like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't any brand of milk. It was just <laughs> milk. Can we get beer to sponsor this show? Uh, just, beer. Just beer. Like the just the general the general beer. thought and idea. Just yes. barley, yeast, and hops. <laughs> It's sort of the platonic concept of beer. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yes, if there's any um, beer 
listening out there uh, please, <laughs> I had, please sponsor I had a, us i had a beer earlier today that on the can it says a beer <laughs> hey it's truth in advertising man mine happens to have one pint and then it said a beer mine happens to have a, a b because it is a honey blonde ale mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is delightful and, in some uh, funny enough i also just made b soap i made yeah. honey soap look at look at that it's the same with honeycomb i i am some i'm somehow here in early august drinking a shiner oktoberfest again i got mad about that briefly and then i realized beer I, well, see, I was walking through a, a store, and I do happen to be on vacation as we record this, and I'm seeing, like, pumpkin beers, and I'm seeing various Oktoberfests, and I'm like, man, this sucks. This is like them putting out Halloween candy the day after Easter ends or yeah. something. This is crass commercialism. This is cashing in on a fat, holy crap, Shadow Oktoberfest! <laughs> yeah, well, what was I thinking about? Ah, oh, never mind. Yeah. That's pretty much how it went. As, and that's uh, what I'm drinking now. Fantastic. Anyway, yeah, back, back to that cover. That is really remarkable. And again, I'm. It is great. It's, it's killer. It. I love. I've always loved that one. Uh, now, for his later album, Solitary Man, Cash would actually cover Tom's "I Won't Back Down." And I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. Oh, fun fact! On his signature cover of Kurt, Johnny Cash's. The piano part that swells toward the end of the song was played by Ben Montage, which I might have already said, right. but I don't care. It, no, it, it bears repeating because, man, that is <clears throat> like in every sense of the word, a banger. Yes. And it just, th- that, that piano that just builds and builds it. Ding, ding. And I think he's just playing one note over and over and over. Didn't LD, you said Trent Reznor basically surrendered the song? Oh, yeah. 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 He but, will not perform it uh, uh, to the point where I, I don't know if he's put it back in his repertoire or not but like at one point he was like nope hands off i it belongs to him now it's amazing yeah um now after johnny cash died in 2003 tom said he found a christmas card that the man in black sent him many years before where he called tom quote a good man to ride the river with <laughs> oh, pretty high he said he didn't know it. he said he didn't know exactly what that meant but um it seemed like something cool and johnny cash said it so he he pretty well carried good man to ride the river with for the rest of his life i like that uh tom petty and the heartbreakers released their own album in 1995 as well this one being a six disc box set called playback it had lots of the band's hits it had some mud crutch songs some b-sides some unreleased work and loads of covers the band had recorded which we'll talk about later there was also a little gem on there called Waiting for Tonight. Yes. Now, it was reported sometime around the sessions for Full Moon Fever. According to a story from Billboard, Vicki Peterson of the Bangles said that Tom came to her and said, quote, this song needs something, help. So the <laughs> Bangles, who were about to break up, by the way, were in the studio and provided background vocals. Mike Campbell said it was funny since they'd be chatting and laughing but then suddenly, when they were supposed to sing, they'd quiet down and nail it every time. Peterson had a huge appreciation for Petty, saying, quote, I felt ripped off that my high school years weren't as cool as my older sister's high school years. Then here's this guy playing a Rickenbacker 12-string and making hit music with it. A reminder that you can just play what you like, and if it's real and it's true, sometimes it resonates with other people, she said. She had a band in high school, and they would end shows 
with a quote warp seven speed power pop punk version of i need to know <laughs> she said the entire band were quote just the nicest guys she said everything tom said was either quote hilarious or cutting she noted quote everything he did though was honest so let's hear that song that tom actually ended up disappointed did not get more attention and didn't actually end up on one of his albums from the box set playback here's tom petty and the heartbreakers with the bangles and waiting for tonight Fade out. It's like a yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. But we're back. All right. So 
well, I think this uh, question has to be stated since we just heard a song that did feature the Bengals because LD dragged us through who who would she rather? Yes. The Wilburys or the Highwaymen. So um, just wondering, go, go, Spangles. Who you got? Uh, I mean, I think you uh, in previous conversations have brought up a very good point. I feel like Susanna Hoff and Belinda Carlisle almost cancel out. That's definitely um, cancel out. That's two, two of my top five ever, probably. So I, I think it depends on what I'm in the mood for. If, if I want kind of... <laughs> something that's going to be a little more on the wild side i'm going with the gogos sure yeah because i don't know if you've seen the video but uh, I, video. yes i have yes um if i want something a little more outlandish i'm going i'm going for the gogos sure i think i, I think by nose probably bangles for me yeah it's close though it's close but it's close it's very yeah. close um what okay okay so bangles I mean, are it, l7 okay here's the here's the deal <laughs> If I've got to choose, I'm going Go-Go's. You know why? Because I don't care what they look like. I just want to have a good time. There you go. Well, they, would de they could definitely party, but I think I think the Bengals were underrated partiers, I think. I don't know if they were underrated. It was the 80s, so. <laughs> yeah, I think they partied. I think they just plain old partied. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can see Okay. Well, anyway, Away From Music, 1996, featured a pretty significant life moment for, for uh, Tom Petty. He and wife Jane, whom he'd married in 1974 and with whom he had two children, divorced that year. There were times that he spoke glowingly of her. In a 1991 Rolling Stone interview, he said, quote, There were a lot of years when I just wasn't really around, and fortunately Jane was strong enough to basically run the whole show by herself for a long time. He called her, quote, the most honest, frank person I've ever met. But he noted that there were times when, quote, we fought like effing Apaches. <laughs> Wow. According to the biography written by Warren Zanes that I've referenced a few times, and that now again, this was claimed in this book, which, and it's very interesting. So Warren Zanes was a former musician who had uh, been in a band that opened for Tom Petty, became an author, asked if he could do a biography. And Tom said, yes, but he said, but it has to be an unauthorized biography. Okay. And the guy said, and, and the guy said, well, you know, generally unauthorized biographies, people don't cooperate. And he said, Oh, no, I'm going to cooperate. But I think that um, authorized biographies are complete BS because that means I'm telling you, you can't write about this. You can't ask me about this. You can't talk to this person. He said, I don't want any taint on this. I want you to write it exactly the way you think it needs to be written. So it needs to be unauthorized. But I'll completely <laughs> you, said, you, said, you said taint on this. You said taint. <laughs> taint. And I tried to walk away from it. You just can't, just, you can't leave taint that way. But, yeah. but, but basically... Basically, his whole idea was, yes, I'll cooperate fully. I'll let you talk to whoever you want to talk to, whatever. But it's, it has to be unauthorized. I want that on the cover, unauthorized biography. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, but this is what is claimed in that book. He said that, quote, Jane would at one point call Tom, quote, regularly, obsessively, and threaten suicide if he said he was hanging up. What? Yeah. She would call him and basically... I, I, it sounded like maybe scream or just go off and but that if she would tell him that if he hung up that she was going to kill herself that's what it sounded like wow tom would later claim that she had been verbally abusive to him as well and dealt with drug addiction unfortunately the latter problem would prove true with tom too sometime around 1996 tom started using heroin mm. now he rarely discussed it after the fact and actually vacillated on whether to discuss it with Zanes for the book that we just talked about, because he was able to kick the habit. 
he didn't want to impress on anyone, younger people especially, that it was something they could dabble with or quit whenever they wanted. He said the drug initially relieved depression that he was dealing with, but then compounded it. Quote, you start losing your soul. You realize one day, shit, I've lost myself. I'm hanging out with people I wouldn't be seen with in a million years. I have to get out of this. I wanted to quit. Using heroin went against my grain. I didn't want to be enslaved to anything, so I was always trying to figure out how to do less, and then that wouldn't work. Tried to go cold turkey, and that wouldn't work. It's an ugly effing thing. Really ugly, Tom said. Well, when you have a drug where coming off it has a symptom that could be death, I mean, right. one of one of the yeah. one of the possible side effects is that you just die Ugh, if you stop yeah. once you start doing it. Yeah, that's that's um, not a thing I would touch. No, but unfortunately, a lot of people have. Yeah. Now, right around this time, or right around the time all this was happening, Petty was approached by Ed Burns about writing a song for a movie that he had written and directed called She's the One. Tom was initially cool to the idea, but Burns sent him the movie, and since he was, quote, divorced and bored, he watched it. <laughs> he ended up writing three songs and sending them all to Burns, telling him he could pick whichever of the three he wanted to use for his movie. Burns wanted to use all of them. So Tom basically became the musical director of the film. He was charged with soliciting work from other artists, but he found that challenging since he knew no one would want to give him their best stuff, wanting to save them for their own albums. So much in the way Full Moon Fever wasn't really planned, the next Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album, Songs and Music from She's the One, wasn't either. It just sort of happened. He used a couple of songs that had not made Wildflowers, covered Beck's Asshole, and did a absolutely banging remake of Lucinda Williams's Chains to Locks, which made uh -huh. um, Will the Thrills Wilbur set list. It's too good. Too good. Yep. Now, we're going to steer away from all the wildflowers leftovers because we're going to come back to those later. I love Grew Up Fast on that one, which is one of the more forward songs about sex, I think, in Tom's catalog that I can think of. I can't think of another one that's as brazen as Grew Up Past is. Supernatural Radio is great. The cover songs are terrific. But I, on, on this rare occasion, am going to show some deference to my brethren on the other end of this Zoom call. One of Will the Thrill's absolute favorite Tom Petty songs is on this album, so we are going to play it. There are actually two versions of the song on the album, one of which plays during the opening credits of the movie, and one of which plays in the closing credits. So we're going to hear the opening credits version, also known as the circus version of Walls. Nice. Some days are diamonds Some days are rocks Some doors are Heart so big 
back what an undeniably wonderful song that is i know we said this before but really did tom petty do anything that sucked because i'd I'd really like to know if he did no he didn't if somebody could could bring that to our attention uh yeah hit us up on our socials at uh, ld will give it then because i i don't know of any i will say there there are some i like more than others but like but like sucked like cookie puss or van halen three no i don't think so nothing on that level I i love that like cookie puss has been like the worst thing we could have possibly ever I listened to. That, like, that's Pat like the barom- That's the barom- the, the like the new barometer of, of suckitude. Like, is it cookie puss bad or is it just bad? Yeah. Again, <laughs> Tom, Tom Petty bad is not the same. It's like grading on a curve. Yeah. yeah. A, huge, a, a huge curve. And that's one of those songs that has one of those those sneaky great lines that Tom uh, has in, in in most everything he does, where he says, "All around your island, there's a barricade." keeps out the danger but holds in the pain yeah like damn tom (laughs) now frankly you're just showing off when when he (laughs) passed uh, obviously spoiler alert uh when tom petty passed away that was the first video i watched 
when I found out he had passed. Yeah, and it, the video's great, too, with about a nanosecond-long cameo from Jennifer Aniston. But, but it really um, feels, if you watch that video, that that's almost like his goodbye. Like, it feels very... Odd, odd, oddly, but odd, because his goodbye is a really long way away. Oh, it is. It is. But there's something about the tone of it and the feel. It's a weird... It's, a, yeah. it's very... For it to be so splashed with color and so much weird stuff happening... It's oddly somber. Yeah, it's like a Fellini film. I get that. I, I kind of get that vibe. I do. Yeah. Um, now, in 1999, Earl Petty, Tom's father, passed away. Now, we've already mentioned that Tom recounted in his biography that his father was abusive. It may have taken him a while to come to grips with that or to talk about it publicly. In earlier interviews, he would mention his dad occasionally. In one story, and I don't know the year, and that's probably a fairly um, important point, he noted that his dad had never been to one of his shows and that he wished he would have gone to one. He never went? Yeah, and I don't know what year we're talking about, but it, uh, famous enough, he's further, far enough along that he's famous enough along that they're writing stories about him. So, you know, probably a, a good ways into his career. Um, he would note in one interview shortly before his dad died that Earl had derided his career choice early on, but certainly supported his profession, quote, every time I buy him a new Cadillac, which, again, when you have the relationship with your dad that he had with his, that's an odd thing to say if he was actually doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, but obviously, that's a lot to deal with in anybody's head, and, and you know, there's no, no way to know how one deals with it i don't guess but anyway that year also saw the band release echo which would be the last collaboration that tom petty and the heartbreakers would have with rick rubin and the final one to feature howie epstein on bass in fact if you've seen the cover of echo you'll notice that he's the only member of the band not pictured he apparently missed the photo shoot for what it was worth Really? He'll, we'll come back to him in a few minutes and not in a good way, unfortunately. But Ruben said things were a bit more dark during the recording of this record. And it is probably not a coincidence that it was done during a period when Tom has admitted he was dealing with heroin addiction and his divorce. Um, Rick said that Tom didn't seem like himself, would often come into the studio walking with a cane and wearing dark glasses. Tom's daughter, Adria, said he, quote, was in a bad place at this point. Some critics actually dubbed this album a divorce record as many songs seem to fit that theme and the lead single was free girl now which screams i'm divorced <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I, i'm going to tell you something if you really go back and listen wildflowers is the i'm getting i'm about to get divorced record hmm. and i think echo is the i'm having a hard time with things record if you if you go back know what he's dealing with and really listen to the songs and listen to what he's telling you in them well, to room me, at the, room at the top is on Echo, isn't it? It is. Sure. is, very, it is. Now, there's yeah. definitely some. There's definitely some. I'm dealing with this not well. Right. Tinges to Echo, and that would be one of those, um, for what it's worth. But I, I actually think, and you know, we could talk about this later. But I, I, I've always, I kind of, in retrospect, now feel like Wildflowers is really more emotionally accepting that his marriage is over. If you listen to a lot of the songs, but I, anyway. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, there aren't many in this little part of the episode, but how about a fun fact? Fun fact! Um, the lead single was uh, Free Girl Now, which was the second song by a major artist released as a free download. And I believe we covered who the first one was a few series ago, did we not? Did David Bowie not, was he not the first artist to offer a song as a free download? It was U2, no, wasn't it? No, no, David Bowie was one of the first artists to embrace the digital 
the digital catalogs. So yeah, I, but not, I, I would have sworn you told me you you said that he he made a one of his one of, he was one of the first people to make a single available for free via download. Because I joked that, that back then everybody had like like dial up internet and it would have taken like six and a half days to download. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. I remember the whole digital thing, but yeah, I'd have to go back yeah. and do it. I thought it was yeah. you too, actually, that did that. It, it may have been, but I, I, th I was thinking uh, Bowie was among the first. But anyway, he made Free Girl Now available as a free download. Warner Brothers freaked out, and they took it down after two days, which, <laughs> again, let's just be honest, is about how long it would have taken to download that off of a dial-up modem in 1999. Oh, yeah, we hear AOL, uh, welcome. Sure. <laughs> Uh, the album was certified gold within three weeks, hit the Billboard Top 10, and produced three songs to hit the Top 20 on the mainstream rock charts. In a retrospective piece on the album done by Ultimate Classic Rock, Tom admitted he was dealing with severe depression during the recording of Echo, that he'd withdrawn from society and had lived for a time in, quote, a little cabin. Additionally, Howie Epstein was, quote, disintegrating before our eyes. He called Room at the Top one of the most depressing songs ever written and if you it's just, a sad song you, it's a really sad song when he says that the part you know we talk about the, the the great turns of a phrase he has but sometimes you don't have to turn a great phrase to to punch somebody in the feels because when he says i love you please love me because i'm not so bad and i love you so Ugh. good lord heart-wrenching yeah damn tom you ought, That's not, you ought not be doing Tom, you ought not be doing us like that now. <laughs> Come on. You're saying um, don't do me like that? Yeah. Hell. <laughs> if you guys start um, doing this again, I swear to God I'm gonna leave. Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Um he said, quote, I think Echo was probably the most scattered I've ever been. I never played it. I looked at the cover the other day and there was a song or two on there I didn't recognize, Tom said. <laughs> wow. After the lengthy tour on the record, he rarely played songs from it again, though he said he eventually listened to the album again years later and decided, quote, damn, you know, this ain't that bad. I really, really <laughs> like it. <laughs> I actually love this album. It's I, it's one of my favorites. And yeah, I, was torn, I was torn on which song off of this one to play, but... Um, you know, we're about to deal with some real heavy, sad stuff, so I'm going to skip room at the top, great as it is. And I think we're just going to go with swinging.
Okay, LD, first of all, banger, great song, fantastic, love everything about it. You are the studied actor, director, documentarian, writer, filmmaker of this group. What in the hell is going on in that video? Because I have no clue. <laughs> um, you know, I genuinely think that it is just, it's, huh, it's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I mean, well, Tom's sitting in a diner, that- Tom's in a diner minding his own business drinking coffee, and then two people are bumping uglies in a hotel room, and people in suits bust in and throw the dude out the window, and yeah, but there's angels, like- and the girl's in a car wreck, and like, what? <laughs> it looks like, it looks like, okay, so it looks like Robin Tooney's spirit uh, is, is one of the ones that's on, like, on looking after Luke Wilson dies. Okay. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out what the interpretation would be for that. Like he was her heart and once he was dead, you know, but then she has a wreck, but then the angels save her. Is it his angel? Is it he might, like one of the angels that saves her? Or, it might be. I wasn't or, paying that close attention to the faces. It's weird. That's my point. It's, it, yeah, it is very strange. but it's, you know what? It's so quintessential 1990s music video. explain to me what's going on in matchbox 20s 3 a.m go ahead um uh that dude bums a smoke off of him marcy's playground sex and candy there's there's like you went there yeah like if i don't mention marcy's playground who is tonight not just sir for the full hour (laughs) eve Eve six harvey danger you're on the air (laughs) big bad voodoo daddy for the full hour Harry Poppin' Daddies, you're on the air. Scroll that zippers. Go ahead, please. Brian Setzer's orchestra. We've had you on hold for hey. a while. Go ahead. Oh, Brian Setzer. <laughs> okay, so we already alluded to the fact that things weren't right with bassist Howie Epstein. He was fighting a losing battle in the war that Tom was thankfully able to win, that being heroin addiction. Oh, he was getting very thin. He didn't look well, and he was often sick. In June of 2001, he and Carlene Carter, his um, fiance, were arrested in New Mexico driving a stolen car. A search of the vehicle turned up 2.9 ounces of black tar heroin and, quote, a large amount of drug paraphernalia. Wow. In 2002, Howie Epstein was dismissed from the Heartbreakers. The time and the rest of the band had tried to help Epstein get clean. They'd sent him to rehab and done all they could for him. But Tom said, quote, he was just degenerating on us to the point where we thought keeping Howie in the band was actually doing him more harm than getting rid of him. 
And my understanding is that it essentially got to the point he just couldn't play anymore. Wow. That, that's how far gone he was, that he would go in the studio and he just, he, he'd pick the thing up, a bass up, and he just couldn't play the thing. That, it, it was that bad. His personal problems were vast and serious, Tom said. On February 23rd, Howie Epstein died from a heroin overdose. He was just 47 years old. Wow. Tom said in a piece he wrote for Rolling Stone, quote, Howie was never not a heartbreaker. He just got to where he couldn't do it anymore. On the 2002 album, The Last DJ, Tom and Mike Campbell did most of the bass work. Though near the end of the recording process, original Heartbreaker bass player Ron Blair rejoined the band after having run a women's bathing suit store for nearly 20 years. Dang. <laughs> yeah. The Heartbreakers would not release another album for eight years, however. Tom did produce his final solo record in 2006, the gold release Highway Companion, which I was originally going to play a song from, but this episode got way long, so I had to cut it. Please go listen to Big Weekend. It's awesome. Around this time, Tom announced his retirement from doing interviews and touring, though he didn't actually follow through on either of those plans. <laughs> this album was a reunion with Jeff Lynne, uh, that being uh, Highway Companion, with Tom and Mike Campbell also working on it from a production aspect. And again, it's really, really good. It's kind of the least heralded of his three solo records but i really really like it if you hadn't heard it in a while go check it out 2008 was a big year for two reasons one tom Petty and the heartbreakers played the halftime show of super bowl 62 will the thrill will remember that one well as it saw his beloved new york giants upset the undefeated new england patriots 17 14 in a game that included the miracle catch by david tyree yep the helmet catch the helmet catch. yep the helmet catch mm -hmm. also as long as i live also, after being defunct for 32 years, Tom got Mud Crutch back together. Wow. He joked that it was, quote, a reunion no one actually asked for. <laughs> I think he's right about that. <laughs> but said um, he was asked about Mud Crutch in an interview and that that sort of planted a seed. Now, I, I do want to, to say up front, we've gotten a lot of feedback uh, on this Tom Petty series like a lot lot and the overwhelming majority of people we've heard from are very pro mud crutch very yeah again the other we've encountered is pro jeff lynn so those two together are uh certainly a surprise they, they were a surprise but you know i, I went back and and I, for some reason i had glazed over mud crutch a little bit when they put the two records out i've gone back and listened to them now and i'm like why did i because they're really good yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know why. To me, that was something I just kind. I was just kind of like, eh. And that is that. Uh, that like I know we had the Southern Rock debate. I feel like Mud Crutch is Southern Rock. Sure, they're very Southern Rock. But he said that planted a seed. So he, Campbell, Tench, Tom Ledden, and Randall Marsh got back together and recorded the band's first ever album, Mud Crutch. They did a short tour, mostly hitting smaller venues. As Tom said, Mud Crutch, quote, had not earned the right to play stadiums. <laughs> the group released a second album, Mud Crutch 2, in 2016, which would actually be the last release of Tom's lifetime, believe it or not. Now, Tom is not a musician who is immediately thought of as an actor, but he did dabble a bit in that field as well. In the late 1970s, he was briefly featured in the movie FM and was in a film called Made in Heaven in 1987. That same year, his daughter, Adria, who is now a very respected director who's done videos for the likes of Beyonce and Coldplay, was pursuing acting. 
she was told that she should read for a new show on the fledgling Fox network. Hmm. Tom was apparently a fan of this show. He went with her to the audition and he ended up appearing as himself in multiple episodes of its Gary Shandling show. Nice. Oh, Gary Shandling. Yeah, I love Shandling. He and Shandling would become friends and Tom would be featured on the final ever episode of Shandling's later program, The Larry Sanders Show, uh, Larry Sanders Show. In that episode, he got in a shoving and screaming match with both Greg Kinnear and Clint Black. As <laughs> three people that have never been in my kitchen. Wait, has Greg Kinnear been in our kitchen? He, we have the best shot with Greg Kinnear, I think, of all three of them. Yeah, of all three, yeah. I think, yeah. I would, I would also say, if you've never seen that, you can find it on YouTube. It's hysterically funny. <laughs> the almost fight between Tom Petty, Greg Kinnear, and Clint Black is hysterically funny. That sounds amazing. He had a larger role in Kevin, Co- uh, Kevin Costner's 1997 film, The Postman. And in 2004, he began providing the voice for Elroy Lucky Kleinschmidt on the animated masterwork King of the Hill. <laughs> His character was nicknamed Lucky because he slipped in a puddle of piss in a Costco bathroom, was injured, and received a large cash settlement. <laughs> he eventually... He eventually, his character eventually marries Luann and fathers a child with her named Gracie. When Mike Judge created the character of Lucky, he actually envisioned him as looking like, quote, Tom Petty without the success. Oh, wow. (laughs) Why is that so visceral? (laughs) In an interview with the Chicago Tribune, Judge said, quote, we thought, what if we try to get Tom Petty? And he was great. Just killed it at the table read. Then he said, Anytime you want me to do it, I'll do it. Judge called Petty, quote, the nicest, most humble, and unassuming rock star you could ever hope to meet. I loved his appearance on SNL. Of course, there was a musical element to his character, as Lucky teamed with Johnny Redcorn and Evan Mackleston to form the heavy metal trio Big Mountain Fudge Cake. And I tell you what, (laughs) we've got a, a small little snippet of one of their songs. Why don't we play that right now? Here we go. All right. Maybe winning the award for shortest song ever played on this. I don't know. Egg Raid on Mojo was pretty short. And the uh, Mother's Pride was 30 seconds. <laughs> There's a hole in my pocket where my money should go. There's a hole in my heart where you used to go. There's a hole and a hole and a hole. Big old hole. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Holy crap, I love the King of the Hill. My judge is genius. genius. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, big mountain fudge cake. The cake don't sell out, man. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite quote uh, from Lucky Klein Schmidt was, me, I don't go to church. Church goes with me. I'm worshiping <laughs> when I'm drinking a beer, digging a hole, or fishing for trout. <laughs> That was my favorite. And, of course, Tom Petty also appeared on The Simpsons. And if you've never seen his appearance there, also available readily on the interwebs, you should go find it because you will laugh. You will pee yourself laughing at it. It's so funny. It is that good. So what do y'all think? Hole in the pocket where my money should go. Uh, brilliant. I mean. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's uh, I, It might be the best song we played in the history of the series. 
It's it's up there. It's it's no Uncle Arthur, but it's pretty good. Near the top in the history of in Rock and Roll Heaven's hundred plus episodes, I think it that's that's top two or three. It is <laughs> big mountain fudge cake. Big uh, mountain fudge cake. In two thousand one, Petty remarried, wedding Dana York. Now, per the Bain, the Zanes biography, she helped him kick his heroin addiction. They actually met backstage at one of his concerts in nineteen ninety one, but then reconnected many many years later. Their wedding was presided over by, and I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. Fun fact: Little Richard. That's pretty awesome. How do you get Little Richard to do your wedding? That's that's. Amazing. I don't know, but he's apparently an ordained minister or preacher of some kind, so he uh, officiated over the wedding. We actually, uh, if you watch the Hill Harper, how it happened, I think that's what it's called. It's something like that. If I'm getting it wrong, I'm sorry. Or Harper okay. Hill. Uh, but he did a documentary on Tom Petty and that they have the photo of that wedding. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> it is, oh, that sounds awesome. It is one of the it's, greatest things you'll ever see in your life. It's kind of what you're envisioning only better. Yeah. So Tom became the stepfather to uh, his new wife's son, Dylan, as well. Away from music, Tom's daughter, Adria Petty, said her dad was pretty laid back. He left a small town in Florida to come to the big city of Los Angeles, but she said he pretty much liked to hang out around the house and not do much of anything. <laughs> she described him as a voracious reader. If he was interested in the subject, he would read every book available on it. So Elvis and the JFK assassination. Anything he was mildly interested in, he'd sit down and read 300 pages on it, she said. He loved art of all kinds and was a film buff. Adria said he loved old movies, but newer movies too. He was apparently moderately obsessive about coffee. <laughs> in a story that didn't make the Zane's book, but was published by Rolling Stone, the writer said that when coffee came up in one of their discussions, Tom lit up and held forth like he normally only did when talking about the Beatles, Dylan, or the birds. He claimed to have had, quote, the perfect cup of coffee in a diner somewhere in Los Angeles and inquired about how it had been made. He was told what variety of coffee machine they used, that they used a fairly common coffee brand, like it was either like Maxwell House or Folgers, I think. Uh -huh. but, but that it was important to measure precise amounts, level them, and to use exactly the right amount of water and that the water had to be chilled. Huh. So he bought this, went out and bought this exact kind of coffee machine and used cold water and leveled everything because he, he was obsessive about coffee, apparently. Tom remained a fan of music, and Adrius said that people might be shocked if they knew all the stuff he listened to. On the show Speak Easy with Jane Lynn White in 1999 promoting the Echo album, he mentioned that he really liked the then-new release from Madonna, Ray of Light. I actually really enjoy that album. I would have liked that song, except when it came out, I was working at Applebee's, and it was one of those things on the, you know what I'm going to <laughs> yep. where they, they have a soundtrack for the store. It's the Applebee's right. soundtrack. Yeah, and it's and if you work there, you will go through the entire thing in your first like hour on the shift. So yeah. it got real old after a couple of weeks. So does that, so does the same, the same bunch of songs just play like over and over? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Same like hour of. Because it, it's time to be the average length of the diner is there. So if you're working there, you just here at nine oh, million see, times you, a day. You oh God, yeah, that was short into the sick because we at least had Applebee's radio. Oh, we didn't have that. So we would have our choice of like, you know, like lounge or chill or upbeat or today's hits, and you would choose that, and it was always be set on today's hits, except for dinner. 
it was set on a quicker music so that they would eat faster so we could have a bigger turnover at dinner. Yeah, I don't know if we just had lazy managers, but Ray of Light was played ad nauseum <laughs> during my, <laughs> my time at Applebee's. My only real restaurant experience was working in a fish camp in a trailer, so they probably just played like Hank Jr. Did that qualify as a restaurant? Barely. <laughs> Barely. A fish camp in a trailer in Buffalo, South Carolina, just barely. Oh, sounds like a classy joint. Uh, now, in an interview from around 2014, Tom said he didn't have the highest opinion of a lot of current music, noting that in many cases, people weren't listening to musicians at all, but computers. When asked why he favored the, quote, live on the floor approach to recording, he said he didn't know why anyone would do it any other way. Hmm. When the response came that most people don't do it that way anymore, he said, quote, because they can't play. Huh. Wow. In 2013, he stirred up a little controversy by saying that modern country music was nothing but, quote, bad rock with a fiddle. Wow. Quote, he said, quote, I hate to generalize on a whole genre of music, but it does seem to be missing that magic element that it used to have. Hmm. I'm sure there are people playing country that are doing it well, but they're just not getting the attention that the shittier stuff gets. <laughs> I don't I don't really see a George Jones or Buck Owens or anything that fresh coming up, he said. It's amazing how the lyrical mastery doesn't only happen in song. It happens in just conversation with And just his general conversations. Now, he didn't name anyone in particular in that interview, but Florida Georgia Line saw fit to respond to Tom on Twitter saying, <laughs> quote, you think we care? As, oh, as come on, boys. No. Back, back up, guys. Okay. Back up. Okay, two things. Yeah, one, yeah. Two things. One, I, I'm going to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I think somebody tweeted that quote or the story at them. Okay. I don't think that was unsolicited. But guys, know your place. <laughs> yeah, you, you walk You're away. You're Florida Georgia one. line. He's Tom Petty. Yeah. Need, need we say more? <laughs> right. You're hamburger helper. He's filet mignon. <laughs> You're not the same thing. You're not the same people. I think they're more like tuna helper, but anyway. Right. Not a right. Not yeah. even not even the good stuff. Whatever the Dollar General store brand <laughs> version of Tuna Helper is. The variant where the hand has like four <laughs> right. fingers. I think it only has four right. fingers anyway. Well, so there's less fingers than it's supposed to. The point is it's Tom Petty, damn it. Yeah. Catfish booster. The point is or, no. or whatever the oh, whatever whatever, whatever the whatever the Dollar General version. Scrapple is. helper. Oh. Scrapple helper. Yes. That's it. Um, and at the time, mostly unknown songwriter very politely responded to Tom in a letter saying that he respected Petty very much and invited him to come write or record a song with him. Now, Tom did not take him up on that, but on his final tour, he did bring that artist, a guy you probably have heard of named Chris Stapleton, along as an opening act. No kidding. Yep. So you had Florida Georgia Line tweeting whatever the hell they tweeted. But then you had Chris Stapleton actually writing him like a polite letter and saying, look, I, I respect you very much. Wildflowers is one of my absolute favorite albums ever. You're one of my, you're one of the biggest influences of my career. But hey, there are a lot of us that are doing it right. And if you don't believe that, you know, come write or record a song with me. And See, Tom didn't take it. him up on that. But but he did take him out as an opening act on his final tour, which I thought was pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. Tom loathed, and I mean loathed, MP3s. Huh. Saying, that, saying the sound quality was a joke and that listeners were only hearing about 5% of what he heard. He favored the slight distortion of analog recording, but he allowed that digital technology made mixing a song which could have taken days before an hours-long exercise and said that he liked that convenience. Personally speaking, uh, Tom despised greed and said that was largely uh, what was responsible for killing rock and roll and the music industry. 
which he said he, quote, watched commit suicide. Oh, wow. His thoughts on that were expounded upon at length on the album The Last DJ, by the way. He said radio never took chances anymore and had boiled playlists down to, quote, the lowest common denominator. Speaking of radio, Tom had his own channel on Sirius XM, which continues to this day. Uh, it's Channel 31, I believe. <laughs> and he hosted a show on there called Buried Treasures. Hmm. We know that rock stars often have ele- elaborate writers on their concert contracts. Tom, Tom had some writers, but he did not go the Van Halen Brown M&M route. His writers stipulated that no plastic or styrofoam coat uh, cups were to be used in the backstage area. Huh, interesting. Tom, an environmentalist, also allowed Greenpeace to set up tables at his concerts. Very late in his life, he did become a vegetarian for, he said, environmental reasons, though he said he couldn't go full vegan, showing that he's a man after my own heart. He said the only thing he really missed after becoming a vegetarian, quote, was barbecue. I mean, yeah, let's be honest here. (laughs) Right. I mean, way back in 1979, he was among the many artists to perform at the No Nukes concert in Madison Square Garden. A funny moment from that was captured in the history of rock and roll documentary uh, from about 20, 25 years ago. Bruce Springsteen was on the bill and he was playing after Tom was. Now, the boss was basically on his home turf and he was a couple of years further along in his career than tom petty at that point Mm -hmm. so it was explained to tom that if he heard what he thought were booze he should realize it was actually just the crowd screaming bruce tom's (laughs) response what's the difference whoa wait a second well i think his point is if they're screaming for somebody else, they might as well be booing. Well, okay, I can see that. I, I thought I was implying. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he was taking a shot at Bruce. He's like, eh, boo, Bruce. Either one of those. They're they're and they're not happy to see him. Yeah. They're not digging what I'm doing. What yeah, exactly. What's the difference? Um, he was very cool about instances of folks lifting his songs. It has been noted that Danny California sounds an awful lot like Mary Jane's last dance. It does. Yeah. yeah. Tom said, quote, the truth is, I seriously doubt that there is any negative intent there. I don't believe in lawsuits much. I think there are enough frivolous lawsuits in this country without people fighting over pop songs. He said he would only likely sue if there was a blatant note-for-note ripoff. Um, Possibly related to the last couple of words I just said, in 2015, he and Jeff Lynne were both given co-writing credit and 12.5% each of songwriting royalties for Sam Smith's Stay With Me. Because that was thievery. (laughs) Wait, wait, they they wrote that? They didn't write it. If you've ever, you can find this on YouTube where where people take that you can, if you take I Won't Back Down and slow it down to about half speed or take Stay With Me and about double time it, the, the, the everything matches up. It's the same tune, the same melody, like everything. They, yeah, they no. This, this has made the this has made a couple lists, and really? yes, and listening to them back to back, as opposed to like trying to remember them in your head, it does sound wow eerily similar. I'm gonna have to experiment with that. It goes it goes beyond eerily similar. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's they're very close. There was not actually that actor actually went to court. It was it was settled, and Tom said to Rolling Stone. All my years of songwriting have shown me that these things can happen. It's a musical accident, no more, no less. So even then, he wasn't really holding a grudge or anything. Now, as he got a little older, Tom did develop an interest in sports. He became a huge L.A. Lakers fan and was often gifted courtside seats by Jack Nicholson. I'm 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 sure Jack's seats suck. 
Uh, he's, he's terrible. How about his seats are terrible? He he's. I mean, he's had those seats for oh, geez, decades. I mean, and he's right. He's like a. He's like like a foot from the bench, isn't he? He's right. Yeah, he talks to the players directly. <laughs> yeah, directly during the games and stuff. Tom's brother Bruce said that he also kept up with the University of Florida football and basketball teams. Originally, and you'll find this interesting, LD, because this is something we talked about early in this series. Tom thought his voice was, quote, a curse because it didn't sound like that of a typical rock singer. Eventually, he came to realize it was a blessing because it was different. It was distinctive and it made him stand out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, no, and that's that's the thing. I don't like, I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me a lot of blowback and hate. I don't like your standard male voice. I think that men are held to a much different standard than women are when it comes to vocals. So the ones that I like are like, this is going to get me eaten alive. Michael Buble, I love his voice. I love his tone that he has to his voice. It's just beautiful and clear. And I love people like, of course, Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, these people with unique voices. That's well, why you I have said before, one of, you have, you've said on this podcast before, one of your favorite male vocalists ever is Bon Scott. Oh, God, yeah. Like if you if if I voted <laughs> you literally just said two words in a tone that was like Bon, yeah. and I knew immediately what you were going for. It's just not even non it's nonsensical words, but you know who I'm going for, right? And they it's just they've made a mark with their vocals, and and I think Tom has that. Tom sure, has that, sure. that vocal. There's there, it's he's kind of like a a male Dusty. Hmm. He's got kind of something into his voice that's like gritty, grainy, but still pure and beautiful. Pure. I, and I, so I love Tom's. I love Tom's voice, and I, I think it's an underrated voice. It's not. It's, it's you said earlier in the series, Will. He's not going to hit these crazy, ridiculous notes like Freddie Mercury or Chris Cornell or somebody. No. But there's there's a versatility to his voice and a pliability to do some to do some different things that are very cool. And I just like the the unique tone of his voice personally i know that you like eccentricities ld tom yes. actually stopped driving in 2003 good for him winona Ryder never learned this <laughs> is crazy he <laughs> now he he wife dana and a friend of hers were going to dinner he had to run an errand first and as he drove on the pacific coast highway he saw three silver balls flying in the air surrounded by helicopters he was convinced that he'd seen ufos he went back and got dana and her friend and brought them to see what they saw were three large silver balloons floating over the home of Dick Clark, which was serving as the site of Adam Sandler's wedding that day. What? What's what happening? He dinged, he dinged one car on that drive and he hit another. And that was just kind of the end of him driving. He just stopped. Adam Sandler was getting married at Dick Clark's house. Tom figures that he was floating some giant balloons overhead to obscure the view of things to the paparazzi helicopters. <laughs> that that makes sense people do that a lot i think tom yeah. the same thing but seriously i can't wait to get old enough to do crazy things and people are just like uh she's old yeah she's <laughs> old that's quaint i mean grandma hit that point where we were just like oh grandma you're just old yeah you're just old and, and then there's billy joel <laughs> right who really who should stop driving yeah. <laughs> billy joel or should or should never have been given a license to begin with. Billy Joel has wound up in more people's living rooms yep. than Dick Clark has. <laughs> Probably. Yep. I mean, I that. 
a member of Lucinda Williams' band said that they were opening for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and were playing in New York on this particular tour. They were staying in the Hamptons, and as an avid foodie, this guy was really looking forward to going out to a nice restaurant, having an expensive top-end meal, and washing it down with some pricey wine. Instead, as he prepared to leave his hotel room and go to dinner, Tom called his room. He said he and the Heartbreakers and some of his road crew had pulled the buses around back of the hotel. They had a grill and were going to cook hamburgers, hot dogs, have a beer, and smoke a joint. He invited him to come hang out. So he never got that high-dollar meal he was dreaming of, instead eating hamburgers and hot dogs with Tom Petty and Mike Campbell. (laughs) He said that Tom and the Heartbreakers were the nicest, most down-to-earth guys that he had ever met. Wow. Daughter Adria Petty said her dad felt a responsibility to take care of his road crew. Many worked their entire careers with Tom and then were replaced by their own children, she said. Jeez. Tom was an advocate of legalizing marijuana, shocker, and said he'd he'd had, quote, a pipeline to the green stuff since he was 17 years old. I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. Fun Fun fact! fact. It's kind of a weird fact, actually, or an interesting fact. It's something. Apparently, any time that Tom Petty went to Washington, D.C., he would go to the Jefferson Memorial, smoke a joint, and just sit there. For some reason, that makes a lot of sense, and I can't pinpoint why. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what, but Tom would go to the, he, he loved to go to the Jefferson Memorial. He'd yeah. smoke one somehow without getting caught, and he would just kind of sit there. Well, here's the thing. If you're the Capitol Police, you see Tom Petty smoking a joint, do you want to be the guy who arrests Tom Petty? Well, like, like, the, cop, like the cop in Louisiana that pulled Willie Nelson's bus over and, and right. arrested him for marijuana possession. I'm like, well, how did you crack that case, Sherlock? <laughs> there's, weed, yeah. there's weed on Willie Nelson's bus. No shit. <laughs> Oh, uh, guys, has Willie not just does Willie not have a get out of jail free card on that? I mean, it's Willie. It's Will. It's like Snoop and Willie, Tom. Who else can get away with it? Doctor Dre. That's about it. Smoking weed. But yeah, that like I mean, you don't you don't arrest Willie Nelson. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I mean, he's, got, he's gotten high on the roof of the, <laughs> of White, the House. White House, like, has, like right. the place where just the snipers go. I mean, right. Um, by That's the way, right. by the way, we uh we have breaking news. Okay. Breaking news. Stevie Nicks has now canceled all of her 2021 concerts. Uh, why? Probably because of Delta. Oh jeez. Yep, citing COVID concerns. Wow. Uh, bummer. Um, but interesting that would come. And interesting, Stevie would come up during a series on Tom. Right. such close friends yes yes that's um, why I brought, that's why i brought it up that's the only reason yeah. i brought it up tom smoked cigarettes for most of his life in regards to smoking restrictions he said he understood some but said not allowing it in parks or bars was quote yuppie bullshit <laughs> he felt people were losing their humanity and were growing meaner more self-centered and were willing to step on others for money fame or power which dismayed him he was not a self-promoter, and when once asked why he thought he wasn't viewed in the same light as people like Dylan Springsteen or Paul Simon, he said that he'd never thought about it and just tried to do his best and added, quote, who the hell is Dylan? Shakespeare pales in comparison in my book. <laughs> Interesting. He thought, he thought awards were silly and subjective, wondering how anyone could determine that one piece of art was better than another. When he received the ASCAP Lifetime Achievement Award, he was humbled since that was something that came from his peers. 
He confessed to being overwhelmed when he was named the Grammy Music Cares Person of the Year just before his death, which honors both creative achievement and philanthropic work. And Tom did a lot of both. And on the, um, he didn't get the, he isn't viewed the same way some of his contemporaries are. In my opinion, he should be. And it really just shows how irrelevant critics are. Because if you don't have Tom amongst the other people that I just said, then you're an idiot. <laughs> Who Pretty knows much, nothing yeah. about music? Pretty much. I mean, you, I mean, you don't have to love a person's music to, to be able to go like, but you know, look, not my mug of beer necessarily, but I can acknowledge they're incredibly talented. I don't, I'm not, a, no, well, I know you are. I am not a massive Paul Simon fan by any stretch of the imagination, but mm. it would be silly for me to sit here and say that he's not talented. He's not one of the greatest songwriters ever that oh, he's sure. put out. Some of the greatest, just tons of great music. His, his catalog is pristine and wonderful and he deserves every honor he's ever received. 100%. I, did, I, I, I would be, it would be silly for me to argue otherwise, but it's silly for anybody to argue the same against Tom. I agree. And I read one theory who said that, and there may be some validity to this, critics a lot of times are a little twitchy about people who have lots of actual hits. And we have, you've, you've listened to the catalog of songs that we've played of Tom's and look at the songs that we've left out. I could name 50 <laughs> kind of like great songs off the top of my head. He had a, a bajillion hit songs. And a lot of the people that were who I just included in that list really have. And that a lot of times critics get suspicious of, oh, that's the stuff the masses listen to. The, the dirty fingernails crowd drive around, drive around in their little trans ams listening to that, 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 you know, that, that rabble music or whatever. And it's like, yeah, no, that just because you write hit songs doesn't mean that you're that there's that you're somehow lesser than somebody who's a little. Oh, he's sophisticated. The commenters don't get don't really get Dylan. That's why he didn't have you know, Tom had more hits than any of those people I just said. Yeah. And it's I think that fine line between being critical and being contrarian. And I feel like mm -hmm. there's a, a tendency to pull towards the latter just again, try to stir things up. Sure. In 2010, Tom and the Heartbreakers released another album. It was their first in eight years. It was called Mojo. It was a departure as the band produced a straight-up blues album for the first time. In 2014, they followed up with their final studio album. Hard to believe, but their final studio album, the critically praised Hypnotic Eye. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard Albums chart, becoming Tom's first ever album to hit number one on the Billboard album chart which I find I found hard to believe. I went back and researched that, like double-checked everything. Hypnotic Eye was the first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album to hit number one. That's insane. Damn the Torpedoes was held out of number two for like six, seven, eight weeks by the wall. Yeah. Pink Floyd. Wilbury's volume one, I think, got to number two. Wildflowers got to number three. Uh -huh. Full Moon Fever got to number two. This was a echo was top 10. He was knocking on the door. I mean, uh, re repeatedly and got to number two, like an absurd number of times, but never got to number one. So Hypnotic Eye was the first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album to hit number one. Mojo had hit number two. So did Damn the Torpedoes. Uh, Tom's Greatest Hits album hit number two and the Wilburys album did. So it was actually like he had four albums that hit number two, but never got to number one until that one. Um, we're going to hear one song from that one before we arrive at the inevitable end of, of things, which I think everybody knows how these episodes end, unfortunately, eventually. Uh, now, this one has a little bit of a leftover blues vibe from Mojo. You're going to notice that Tom's voice is a little different, but you have to keep in mind that at this point, he was in his 60s, and he was not one for using studio technology to sweeten the sound of anything. 
So uh, we're going to hear one song from Hypnotic Eye. Probably not the best known one. I think Fault Lines is probably one most people would remember from Hypnotic Eye. This, this kind of gives us a, a, a way to cheat and kind of hear a vibe from the Mojo album, but also listen to something from Hypnotic Eye. This is a song uh, I really like called Burnout Town. All right. What y'all think of that one? I it's dirty and I love it. That is the yeah. kind of music that just would I would put on, sit on my front porch in a rocking chair, and I would even indulge in a beer. Oh wow! Yeah, that's just that. So you so you would you would break your drinking uh, thing for for that song? Heck yeah! Powerful. Yep. I really like that one, and it kind of gives you a, like I said the vibe of the that Mojo Blues album. 
but let you hear something from Hypnotic Eye at the same time. I, I just, I really like that. There are a couple that are better known on that album, but that's probably my favorite. In late 2016, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers launched a 40th anniversary tour. He talked in some interviews about how difficult crafting a set list could be. Really? Really, Tom? Yeah, we don't sympathize with you. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> um, he didn't want to be a, quote, nostalgia act or a, quote, jukebox and just play his biggest hits. Still, he knew that fans wanted to hear them. So he gave them a long list of their favorites, but mixed in some new or lesser known songs as well, and sometimes altered the playlist to keep things fresh. They did 44 dates, played in front of nearly 700,000 fans, and grossed $61 million in ticket sales. Wow. In the first series I did this year, I noted that Van Halen played its final show at the Hollywood Bowl. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers finished the tour with three nights there. The last night Tom Petty played on stage came in the encore of the third night when he and the boys closed with American Girl. That was their second ever single and came from their first ever album. Unfortunately, that would end up representing a full circle moment. Now, you will read in clickbaity articles that Tom had predicted it would be their final show or their final tour or some variation thereof. That's actually not accurate. Tom had said it would likely be the band's last ever big tour. When asked about quitting in his final interview conducted with the LA Times just days before his death, Tom said, quote, why would we quit? Hmm. He said the band was probably better than it had ever been. He did tire of traveling. He wanted to spend more time with his granddaughter and had other projects he wanted to work on. He talked about producing an upcoming album by the band The Shelters and had just recently produced an album by Chris Hillman, formerly of The Birds. He, in fact, had plans to revive a previous work and was trying to figure out how to present it in concert, and we will talk about that a little bit later. The project, though not a live presentation of it, would be completed three years later, but Tom would sadly not be around to see it. Tom did say the band would stop if one of the members was to die or suffer a serious illness. And unfortunately, that would happen just days after he said it. On October 2nd, just one week after his final concert, Tom was found unconscious in his home. He was not breathing and was in cardiac arrest. He was resuscitated and rushed to UCLA Medical Center. There were reports that he was brain dead and on life support. And CBS News prematurely jumped the gun and reported his death hours before he actually passed away. Oof. Drawing the sternest rebuke you can imagine from his daughter, Anakim. Well, I, I don't that know was, if y'all ever saw that. No, no, no but, I thought that was Rolling Stone magazine. Um, I, I had thought, CBS. I, it, may have, it may have been more than one person. It may have, there may have been more than one source that quoted it early. I want to say. That said that early. Yeah, I want to say that I, I remember her railing against how what a crap magazine that Rolling Stone was. Then, then, maybe, then maybe they maybe they jumped the gun too. Yeah, I, that's I, entirely possible. Sure. I remember that because I was like, yeah, they they were pretty bad, you know. After they put the picture of Arne Sarneev, I think that was his name, the Boston one of the Boston Marathon bombers in yeah. like in like a light vignette filter with like sparkles on it. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing, Rolling Stone? Yeah, and that's so after trash. that, I was like, yeah, you're a trash magazine now. Sorry, you're tra you're you're, tra you're trash and you suck. Yeah. As the day turned into night, Tom was surrounded by his family, his musical brothers, and some friends. At 8.40 p.m. Pacific time on October 2nd, the world got a little meaner 
a little darker and a little bit uglier. Thomas Earl Petty passed away. He was just 66 years old. A medical examiner determined the death to be an accidental overdose of fentanyl, oxycodone, a sedative, and an antidepressant. His family revealed that he was dealing with emphysema, problematic knees, and a fractured hip. In his final interview, he actually mentioned the hip and said that he may have to get it replaced. All of the drugs in his system had been prescribed, and he'd apparently been told on the day of his death by a doctor that the hip problem had worsened. Quote, it is our feeling that the pain was simply unbearable and was the cause of his overuse of the medication, was a family statement. His wife, Dana, said later that Petty's doctors had recommended that he have surgery on the hip for a long time, but that he had it in his mind. He owed it to his fans and his crew to finish the tour. So there are people who say that Tom almost essentially killed himself for his fans. I've read that in multiple places that rather than come off the road, have whatever hip replacement or whatever surgery he needed, he's like, nope, I owe it to them. Got to go finish. And the thing is, if you if you watch the footage, there's somebody who took a video. I don't know if it was a professional video or if somebody was just at the concert and took a video. But if you watch him wave goodbye, you can see him limp off the stage at the yeah. and it's You can tell like something is wrong. And, and I would tell you, um, I remember because this was 2017. So this is after the slaughter of 16 when so many all-timers had passed away you learned that if someone's name was trending on twitter it was probably bad news or that was at least the vibe you got and i remember i was sitting in my office and i looked at twitter and tom petty's name was trending and i was like oh god i'm scared to click this and i did and i my my fears were realized unfortunately and he was i saw not responsive in the hospital possibly brain dead i had to then leave my office to go do an interview i think with a volleyball team okay at the like literally the moment I was walking out of my office is when whoever jumped the gun and said that he was dead. So I walked to my car thinking that Tom was already dead. I got in my car and I'm already bummed enough as it is because I'm you know a huge Tom Petty fan. This was one of the rare celebrity deaths that actually like punched me in the gut a little bit. I get in my car, put the key in the ignition, crank it up. And whatever radio station I had it on was playing as good to be king. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I have, now I have to go interview whoever i probably zombie walked through that it was probably they were probably like god what was that guy's problem <laughs> by the time i you know by the time i finished but that that that's how that unfolded unfortunately wow. his death was actually the second big blow to the musical world in a very short period of time and i'd actually forgotten this until i started doing the research one day earlier was the horrific shooting at the outdoor country music concert in las vegas oh wow there was an outpouring in regards to both Cheryl Crow said, quote, this is unbearable. Vegas and now a great music hero has passed. You brought us so much joy, Tom Petty. We'll miss you. John Mayer said on Twitter, quote, I love Tom Petty and I covered his songs because I wanted to know how it felt to fly. Ezra Koning called Free Falling, quote, truly one of the greatest pieces of American art. Sir Elton John called Tom, quote, irreplaceable and unique and said his songs were, quote, timeless. Carol King said, quote, my heart goes out to all the people affected by the horrible shooting in Las Vegas and to the family, friends, and fans of Tom Petty, of which I am one. And then, uh, LD? Yeah. Uh, and please tell me if I butcher this guy's name. Lin-Manuel Miranda? Lin-Manuel Miranda. He offered, quote, I am so grateful for Tom Petty's music. Feels selfish to want more, but I always will. Oh, wow. Nice. 
His former bandmate and producer Jeff Lynn called Tom, quote, the coolest person he ever met. Bruce Springsteen said he was, quote, devastated and heartbroken and said he'd always felt a deep kinship with Tom's music. Eric Idle said, quote, a kinder, sweeter, and more gentle man you could not know. But maybe the most poignant tribute came from John Mellencamp, who I think borrowed this quote from somebody else, but it was it, it was perfectly placed. Quote, he was a certain kind of bird that had no legs so that he could never land on this earth. He lived his whole life in the sky, and now he will spread his wings and he'll sleep on the wind. His name is written in the stars. At its next show, Coldplay paused for a moment of silence in honor of Tom and then was joined on stage by Peter Buck for a rendition of Free Fallen. Nice. And I want you to listen to the cross-section of artists I'm about to say. Musical tributes were paid at other concerts in the following days by Bob Dylan, Jimmy Buffett, Foo Fighters, Lady A, The Killers, Hanson, Kesha, a joint performance by Dave Matthews, Steve Earle, Emmylou Harris, and Patty Griffin. Wow. John Fogarty, Molly and Billy Ray Cyrus, Imagine Dragons, The Avett Brothers, Chris Stapleton, Robert Earl Keane, and Fleetwood Mac. You know what? You, you didn't did I miss say- a, did I did I miss a base? Like, did we touch every single base that there is? I don't think you did. I don't think you did hip hop, but, but damn, that's a list. But I mean, like, the thing is, if you, if you, like, the only one that shocked me was Imagine Dragons. That was the only one that I was like, huh, or or Hanson, but they had the same hair as Tom Petty. Well, they all did. Yeah. (laughs) The thing that kept the one, the only one, the one that really stung me was Kesha. Yeah. Kesha has the same hair as Tom Petty. Okay, same hair. I, I, I'll grant you. Okay, granted. Now, I, I read that list. The last name that I read you was Fleetwood Mac. The latter contained his friend of nearly 40 years, Stevie Nicks, who said that she would likely never get over his death. Jason Aldean, who I believe was the artist on stage at the time of the Las Vegas shooting. Yes, it was. Appeared on Saturday Night Live that week and did an acoustic version of I Won't Back Down. Aww. For me, though, the best tribute was one that was largely spontaneous. Now, if you go back to the very beginning of this episode, I painted you a picture of a giant stadium full of folks singing along with Tom Petty. And you probably thought that was a scene from one of his concerts, but it wasn't. Five days after his passing, Tom's hometown Florida Gators were playing host to LSU at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. The school decided to honor Gainesville's favorite son, and a former member of the school's ground crew. So a decision was made to play I Won't Back Down between the third and fourth quarters. As they did, something happened. People started to clap along. Then an ever-growing number started singing along. By the time the song reached its chorus, 90,000 football fans, strong, stood and shouted at the top of its lungs, hey, baby, there ain't no easy way out. Tell you what, let's actually hear a little clip of that right now.
Okay. I want to know who the 11 people are on that video that disliked that. Yeah, you, you are, you are wrong. Everything you do is bad, are, wrong, and awful. You are wrong. You are wrong. Go, go to your local community college and sign up for a class so you can get an education because clearly you're stupid. I would say go to some kind of religious figure because clearly your soul has been removed and it must be returned to you. You need Jesus. Yeah. 11 people that dislike yeah, or, that or, video. Or Buddha or a rabbi or somebody. Something. Yeah. Okay, Travis, you good? Oh, you used to say we're back. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, we, no, were, we, just just right we, we were just yelling. We started yelling. We were yelling at the clowns <laughs> who disliked that video. Oh, yeah, okay. 11 people disliked that. Those 11 people have no soul. I, I don't yeah. know what to yeah. tell you. If yeah. you can watch, if you watch 90,000 people rise as one and saying i won't back down and your your thought is you know thumbs down you're just a douche weasel you have don't have an opinion that i care about on any <laughs> topic or subject they actually had to go to their computer and push a button to voice their dislike of that how could you dislike that I, I, what 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 they have done is bad wrong and awful <laughs> it's bad wrong and awful in every way but Eat that began a new tradition <laughs> along with We Are the Boys of Old Florida, I Won't Back Down, is now played at every Florida Gators football game. Nice. It should not go unnoticed that when they played it that first time, they did so at homecoming. And that was appropriate because Tom had gone home. Mm. Now, that is normally where we would end a series at the death of an artist and me making LD cry. <laughs> In this case, in this case, though, there was a project Tom wanted to see completed, and it would be, but in his absence. His life was over, but there was one untold chapter that had to be completed, and we're going to get to that in part five. So I'm going to let LD do the socials, and then we'll get out of here. Okay. I've got to, like, look up our socials, but I will say, in the meantime, that uh, I am still doing the casting for American Idol, so if you're interested <clears throat> in doing that, you can reach out to me if you have a vocalist in the age range of 15 to 28 that would be interested in auditioning for American Idol, you can email me at lindley.ehrlich at americanidol.com. That is L-Y-N-L-Y dot E-H-R-L-I-C-H at americanidol.com. So for our other social stuff, you can throw a coin to your witcher at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven if you're interested in uh, throwing uh, some cash our way. You can find us on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT, our Instagram. Unless you're one of the 11 people who who uh, didn't like that video. I don't want your money. You suck. No, no, we don't We don't need that. We don't need your blood money. <laughs> uh, if you want to come play with us on Instagram, we love it over there. And that's at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Our Facebook is Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. We also run wild over there. Still not saying our website. And you can email us, rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And you can check out all of the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Com. And we and, have gotten a ton of feedback on this series so far. Please keep it coming. We love it. it like it, dislike it. You want to participate in our lists, um, any of the stuff we're doing. We, we love hearing from you, and we, we have a lot on this series, and we just keep it coming. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you. Yeah, it really is just, it's an awesome thing that, you know, even that a running joke became a real thing. And they found us. And they found us. <laughs> and 
like the fact that I can wake up and, and see that you guys are sending us messages and commenting on pictures. That really means a lot to us. We really love that engagement. And this, yeah. this has been about the most feedback I, we've ever gotten on a series since oh. I've joined anyway. Yeah. Uh, this this yeah. one is really, really, uh, we've gotten a lot of people. Um, and and we, we, a lot of things are very interesting. I, I didn't realize how much people like Mud Crutch. So, mm -hmm. um, lesson learned there. Did not know how much people love Jeff Lynn. They do. And I've, I'm getting, the, the other thing that was a little odd for me was, is we've had some people send us their Wilbur set list and we'll read a couple of those in our next episode because uh, this one's already a little long. But how much people tend to skew toward his later work, mm. loving it. Um, if you go back and listen to even the ones that we did and that uh, Penelope and Mark did and the ones we've gotten, I was about the only one, I think LD maybe picked one. I was the only person otherwise to pick a tom petty song that came out before about full moon fever i i picked um uh, i picked love you, picked, you picked one older one I picked and somebody picked the waiting and you picked but outside that it was but i also think that shows how vital tom remained for a very long period of time mm -hmm. that he was still making amazing great music 20 plus years into a career which is not a thing most people do so i think that's more a tribute to his longevity and how long he put out great music than anything else really but thank but thank you everybody keep it coming we love hearing from you so uh from all of us here at rock and roll heaven to all you guys out there thank you so much for checking us out make sure to check us out next week where we will be buttoning up the series on the late the great tom petty now i should say that after this week it is going to be passing the torch over to Will the Thrill, mm -hmm. where he is going to dip his toe into the life of Jim Croce. Yes. So apparently I have been told that I probably shouldn't even be there at the end. So I might the actually end. like <laughs> most I of the series. I might actually yeah. step away. I don't know. <laughs> um, and if you guys are wondering why I stepped away at the last episode, it was because there's a new kind of scam out there. And I actually had to take care of my my banking because uh someone had scammed a thousand dollars out of my bank account so that's why i wasn't in uh part three yeah, that required you guys, attention well yeah. you were you were there you just you left for like a really long time and then i came back <laughs> i came because because so, there may have been a, a there may have been a sense from listeners that it turned into a real sausage party for about an hour there was <laughs> <laughs> the reason uh ld somebody stole money from her and she went and kicked their ass and got it back and that's yep. that's pretty much how that went that's that's exactly what happened <laughs> yeah. also don't ask about the burning car on the 101 i'm i have nothing to do with that I never anyway do. you guys have a great week we will see you guys next time will would you like to say something to the audience i absolutely would thank you guys for coming with us on this journey we got more great episodes coming up including the final one on tom petty you guys rock we'll see you next time all right passing it back to you t all right uh so we do have one uh, part left in this one. I told you this This series is a little different. We didn't start at the beginning and we don't end at the end necessarily, uh, but I think you'll like what we've got coming up next week. And it it, it, it manages, it, it allows us to end this series not on a gigantic downer, which it would if we stopped now. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to do that. So we got one more part. Hope you'll listen to that one. In the meantime, we're going to close this episode with another absolute Tom Petty classic. This is I Won't Back Down. i
Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.